0: This podcast is brought to you by the book, The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing in life, published by Grand Central Publishing. Recently updated and reissued in a new edition, it will teach you everything you need to know to write memoir. For more information, see the show notes or purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome to QWERTY, I'm Marion Roach-Smith. Each episode, I talk to writers from all genres to discover what makes a good read. And along the way, we discuss their writing process, discover their tips, and talk about what matters most to writers. So step away from the computer or typewriter for a bit and join me. It's possible that Joanna Penn is the hardest working writer on earth. She's considered an authority on writing fiction, writing nonfiction, marketing, making a living in writing, as well as publishing and AI and the future of creativity. She's a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of thrillers. She writes inspirational nonfiction for authors and is an award-winning creative entrepreneur and international professional speaker. In other words, she's made books her life. She has published more than thirty books and makes her books available in hardback, paperback, ebook, audio, and large print editions. When I look at all of this, I see not only someone who's wildly successful, but is also widely accessible, making her work and herself available to us on many different platforms. And she begs the question, of course, how broad should an author platform be? Let's ask her that and more. I'm delighted to have you here. Welcome, Joanna.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Marion. That was a lovely introduction. (laughs)
0: Well, it's all true too. It's an extraordinary world that you've built, and I'm a great believer that creativity builds creative worlds. I believe that the creative we engage in changes the world and we expand. You, you know, you build the world view that you want. And you seem to live this ethic of trying so much that's out there in the creative world.
1: Yeah, well, I completely agree with you. And uh, you know, I often think about creativity as as this pipe, and you know, coming from wherever you think it's coming from. <laughs> and of course, we fill the pipe with ideas. <laughs> um, you know, we fill, we read, we watch things, we travel sometimes uh, when we can, uh, we experience the world, and that kind of mushes up together in in our brains, and then we turn that into our creative projects. And uh, of course. You know, you have memoir and you do a lot of nonfiction, And uh, I find myself... I was editing my latest novel this morning. And, you know, I wonder sometimes where this stuff comes from. But all of that together <laughs> just needs to be expressed. And the, uh, keeping with the metaphor of the pipe, I feel that so many writers get so stuck on the one project for so long Mm -hmm. that maybe that is the thing that blocks the pipe. And, um, you know, a a lot of non-writers will ask, where do you get your ideas? And those of us who write know ideas are never the problem. (laughs) It's actually getting those projects out there and finished. Uh, So, yes, I do. I I just try to stay creative every day. And in fact, uh, on my wall here, I have a sign that says, have you made art today? And that's kind of how I live.
0: Yeah, I get that. Absolutely. Well, I want to just go back a little bit to when we first met. Yours was the first podcast I was ever on, which means you were a really early adopter because it's quite a while ago now. But you also seem to be a full range adopter of many ways in which one can communicate with readers. And that's not typical of all writers. So let's start by talking about the value of exposure. It seems obvious, but I think many writers still believe if they write it, an audience will, well, let's just say, magically drop from the sky. So what's the reality of how authors need to promote themselves? Yeah,
1: sure. Well, first of all, we use the word exposure, and I want to address that immediately. I don't think it is exposure. It is curated brand management in a way. So Mm -hmm. I'm being completely myself with you right now, but it's only an aspect of myself. I'm not going to talk about, you know, my husband. I'm not going to talk about weight management (laughs) uh, on, on your show. That's not curated for your audience. And I I want authors to think about that as they consider what they want to put out in the world. So for example, with my fiction, um, I write as J.F. Penn, and I love graveyards. So, And I write about graveyards sometimes and put ossuaries and crypts in my books. So I'll share pictures of graveyards and things, and that will attract a certain audience. It's not for everyone. And some people listening will think I'm mad. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) that (laughs) that attracts a certain type of person. And perhaps. that type of person would like um, my books. Uh, So that's an example of a curated brand management rather than exposure. So it's all right, people, you don't have to share everything about your life. So that's one. Mm. Um, The second thing is, I do think it is important. So perhaps because I've been uh, independently publishing since before it was trendy, I self-published my first book in um, 2008, beginning of 2008, started my podcast in 2009 and have Mm -hmm. been, you know, jumping into everything, YouTube and social media and all those things because when you're independently published, you know you have to do it yourself. (laughs) But I think what's changed in publishing over the last decade is publishers want authors who can do this stuff and who are willing to put themselves out there, because book marketing has increasingly gone online. And of course, there are cultural things in the world uh, right now that are changing things to be even more online. So I think because I had to early on, I've Kind of turned that into wanting to do it over time. Uh, in fact, I've started another podcast, Books and Travel. I've started doing mm-hmm. more live video. So I think it's always changing it up, trying new things pushing yourself out of your comfort zone because at the end of the day, we're writers, but we can only have this living uh, if people find
0: and buy our books. (laughs) So it's an important Mm -hmm. part of the process. And that's just such an important last sentence there. They've gotta be able to find us. So do you advise people to start that author platform Right away, as they begin, as you said, you, you like it. You found that you had to do it. If anyone who's self-published knows that you've got to do it. I self-published a book after being published by three of the biggest publishers in the world. I tried it as an experiment, and it worked beautifully. And then I took it to market, and then we sold it in an auction to a mass market publisher. So I, too, feel the imperative, the the definite need to learn how to to promote oneself. So do you tell new authors Start yourself an online profile now. Do it any way you can. What What's your best advice there?
1: Well, I think it really depends where you are on your writing project, because as you mm-hmm. know, um, with memoir what you start out with writing can turn into something completely different so if someone comes to me and they haven't even finished a first draft of whatever genre they're writing i would generally say just hang on a minute you know don't jump into uh making youtube videos or starting a podcast or blogging right now because you don't necessarily know what that's gonna be in the future Mm -hmm. uh you know I, i know someone who wrote um a memoir about hawaii and um she has been blogging about Hawaii for, for a long time. So that kind of naturally uh, worked. I mean, maybe if you know it's set in a certain place, you could post pictures on Instagram or something like that, which is not a massive commitment. But starting a website and a blog or a podcast like this, you know how much work it is. It's not mm-hmm. something to go into uh, without much of a clue of what you want to achieve. So I think the definition of platform can be so varied now. What I would say is, is the most important thing that I have realized over the last decade is having an email list. This is the best way to sell books. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. uh, I would suggest that at least um, if you have a book that's with an editor so you know what's going on, maybe you know the title, um, then having at least a website with an email list um, gathering uh, form even something as basic as that so that whenever you you can update all your social media platforms to point at that page that would be the very basics then the next step would be okay what do I love consuming so as you said I started podcasting a long time ago before it was even called podcasting (laughs) but I knew that (laughs) I enjoyed listening to audio so it was very natural for me to move into audio because I enjoy listening to it so people listening whatever you enjoy I mean presumably you enjoy listening to podcasts that's why you're here (laughs) so maybe be mm-hmm. podcasting is a good route, but it is a commitment. So if you're just starting out with a book, I would say pitch podcasters to go on their show. Like you said, you came on my show, I'm coming on your show. Um, and often you need to pitch well in advance. So my own show is booked six months in advance these days. And the biggest shows are all going to be booked a long time. So make sure you're connecting with people, um, making relationships and then pitching well in advance with the topic of your book and an interesting angle that that person um, will want to do. It's a bit like pitching for, for any kind of media. You have to have a story beyond I've written a book. <laughs> hmm.
0: Absolutely. It's so deeply important to be able to do that pitch, that one sentence, what is this about, and why am I a value to you on that show? So when we pitch you, when I pitch you to myself, I always try to figure out which of the many people, the many writers, the many professionals you are, I'm most interested in talking to. It's almost as if I want to say, Joanna, I'm going to press button number nine now, and I want to talk to that person. (laughs) And it makes me really say out loud i mean to say you're diverse is is one of the great wild understatements i'm sure that any aging in place publishing executive would tell any aspiring young writer to stick to your knitting young woman, you know, master one genre, write the hell out of it, forget the fantasy, the thriller, the romance. So either you never got that memo, or you read it and laughed it off and like lit some cigars with it or something. I don't know. But (laughs) how did you ignore that perfectly dreadful advice to put a cork in your creativity and just do one thing?
1: Well, as you say, I I have not had a career in a traditional uh, publishing world. (laughs) I I ran my own businesses uh, before I was a full-time writer. So I've pretty much always been the type of person who will go and do stuff uh, and not ask permission. uh, Permission is something I'm not that interested in. (laughs) So we're very (laughs) lucky to live at at a time where we have the Internet and we can do this stuff. And I learned from the early wonderful American authors who were jumping into self-publishing on Amazon, and, and when I realized that you could publish your own book, um, and I say independently published because I work with a lot of freelancers, professional editors and designers and stuff. So I've got a business. Um, but mm-hmm. so self-publishing, I don't do it all myself. But the fact is, you have to reach out and uh, do, do this. And when you get your book onto Amazon, you realise, wow, I can I can write all these different things. I also always intended to leave my job. And when you think about a career, uh, I'm 45 right now. I want I want to be doing this for the rest of my life and there is absolutely no way I want to write in one genre forever i mean it's creatively boring and also, yeah. you don't know what's going to hit. So I have, in my fiction area, I have three uh, series right now, the arcane thriller series, the a dark fantasy series, and a crime series, plus some standalones. They're all different ways into my world. And that's what I want you to think as a creator, is how do I get people into my world? And then once they arrive in my world, what might they like? So there are people listening who might be interested in my fiction, but most people probably won't be. Some people might like to try my podcast podcast. podcast um you know there's lots of different things that people would like and you have to I think you know it's fun to do it from my perspective but also from the reader perspective what are the different ways in and if you're only writing one genre and then that genre is not popular Uh, then it's not great. And also as a business model, if you only have one book or three books or even five books, you're not going to make decent money. And for me, Mm -hmm. this has always been a business. Yes, I'm an artist. I'm a creative. I'm a writer. I'm also a businesswoman. (laughs) So I like to make money. And to me, that diversity helps.
0: I think that that's the thing that I find most people just kind of stop in their tracks when I say to them, at a certain point, your book becomes a widget. You have to be able to sell it. It's got to go to the market. Yes, it's your beloved piece of creativity. Yes, it comes from your voice. But at a certain point, you have to understand that a publisher only makes something if it sells. And you can make it yourself, but it still has to sell. So there's that understanding of the business aspect of it. I think there's also, the word agility comes into mind as we have this conversation, a certain agility that writers have to have and maintain, because it's too easy to say to ourselves if we write in different genres, oh, I'm overextended, or oh, my platform is too big. I've written for newspapers, magazines, I've written screenplays, poetry, fiction, short stories, memoir. I haven't published in all those genres, but I've been informed by writing in all those different genres on how to write. And I think it's, really important to work on that agility so how do you feed that though i have my own theories about how you keep that sort of multi-faceted interests alive what about you how you say it's a lot about what people want to read but in within your own quiet self what are you saying to yourself each day
1: Uh, it's a big creative question um but i think it is about saying yes to Mm -hmm. tuning in to what you're interested in and not denying that interest. So, Mm -hmm. uh, for example, I love um, cathedrals and I love holy relics and I love, you know, a lot of my work has religious history as underpinning the research for the books. And when I travel, um, then I'm visiting ancient sites and I'm writing stories that are inspired by those things that I love. But what's interesting, I think, and I spent 13 years as an IT consultant, which was not creative at all. And I almost had to relearn the skill of identifying what I was interested in. But once mm. you can tune into that, once you realise where your eyes go in a bookstore, or you, you're like, okay, I want to look at that, that's what I love, then you just double down on what you love. And so what I do, and I, I mean, I literally have about 17 different novels at the moment that are on my list, and I keep changing them around as to which one I'm going to write next. <laughs> because <laughs> the as the ideas come, you know, you have to have somewhere to put them. But it's saying, yes, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do that. I can't do it all at once but I can work on it slowly and steadily over time and then the one that Mm -hmm. I write The one that I write first, so for example, I moved to Bath. I live in the southwest of England in the Roman city of Bath. And when we moved here uh, from London, I was very discombobulated. It's a very different place. And I couldn't work out how I could live in such a place that was, you know, quite different to London. And so I ended up writing Map of Shadows. Uh, This was also when Brexit was happening. So I ended up writing a dark fantasy book about a split portal world where the border was an issue. So it was everything I was going through into a novel a dark you know a sort of dark thriller fantasy novel and through that it's so interesting now because I look at the book and go wow okay I can see the themes probably no one else right. can <laughs> but you know writing is a way that I deal with my life and and the world and say, so saying yes and noticing your creative um, prompts and the things you're interested in those are the ways I think to stay creative.
0: I think it's such a wonderful thing to remember that that great Picasso quote about how it spent he spent all of his adulthood trying to remember how to draw like a child and I think so much about when my child was young and she had a, an imaginary friend with whom she processed everything everything went through him in other words she took she, when a friend of mine was getting divorced then he was getting divorced when the dog died he had a dog that died and she told us her version of his life. But I could hear the processing. And so many times, I think of my own writing life as, as in my imaginary friend with whom I process. You know, I, this this thing of COVID, this thing of isolation, I just wrote a piece about that. This thing of COVID, this thing of reaching out and sort of mapping the people we love as dots on a map suddenly, thinking of them as they're spread out all over the place and mapping our friendships and our and our relations, um, you know, this idea of what we're processing being what we then take on and write is a very permission-driven personal philosophy. And And I remember that pipeline that my daughter had to her imaginary friend, and I spend my entire adult writing life just trying to write with mine. So I love that. I love that idea. So you write dark fantasy, you write action, adventure thrillers, you also write sweet contemporary romance with your mother. And this actually kind of makes me weep to consider. Like, and I'm probably overdoing it, but writing with your mother seems like one of those undefined intimacies through which there can be nothing but wonder, really. Or am I just completely (laughs) mad? And is it really like a plot line for a horror movie to write with your own mother?
1: (laughs) Well, there is a story. (laughs) There is a story here, Marion. You will laugh. Okay, so I wrote three three sweet romance uh, books with my mum. And basically, a few years back, you know, this happens in your family, somebody says, Oh, I'm going to write a book one day. And you're like, Yeah, yeah, great. Fantastic. Let me know when you do because you just know that most people don't. And um, my mum actually handed me a 100,000 word draft (laughs) a couple Ah! of years later. And I went, Okay, then I will help you with this. And, uh, and basically, I ended up, um, you know, doing more than editing, I ended up as a co writer. And through the process of three books I helped her uh, develop her voice. And um, I learned a lot about editing and a lot about respecting different voices. We had a lot of honest conversations. We're very good friends, me and my mum. Uh, but there <laughs> were certainly some moments where we were driving each other mad. And it, it was creatively very difficult because I am not a sweet romance girl. <laughs> you might have noticed. I'm, I like yeah. graveyards. I like I like yeah. dark things. Um, you know, I, my favourite book is Stephen King's The Stand. Um, so mm-hmm. it's... It's one of the, it was one of those things where I went in to help my mum start a new career in her late 60s and she's actually writing book five now so we decided to part ways on co-writing because at the end of the day and I think actually this is really good because it enabled me I, I, I was getting very angry and frustrated and the feeling that I had was similar to the feeling I had at my day job but towards the end mm. when you are angry and frustrated frustrated frustrated. There is something that is wrong. And I said to my mum, I don't want to be angry and frustrated. And I think it's because I'm doing work I d- it's work. I don't enjoy sweet romance. This is not my genre. So uh, we had a really good, honest conversation, and um, we parted ways, and I still help her with publishing, but um, she now does the writing, so yes, <laughs> that's what happened. And so I would say if anyone wants to co-write and I've co-written with other writers. It is a very powerful experience, but it is can also be incredibly difficult creatively because what we were talking about before, that tuning into what you love... You then mm-hmm. have to respect someone else's opinion, and if you're a bit of a control mm-hmm. freak like me, you're going to struggle. So I would say that even though I'm not writing off um, co-writing entirely, it is not something I'm doing right now, and um, I'm doubling down on my own interests, which are yeah, mainly thrillers and, and dark fantasy.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that story, and I yes, twice I've I've worked with co-writers, and it was. One of the greatest mirrors I ever got to look in, and for exactly the reasons that you just pointed out, because I wrote a book about forensic science. I got to spend two years behind the scenes in the world of forensic science and go to autopsies and uh, everything, crime scenes, blah, blah, blah. That is very cool. Oh, it was so cool. And we'll talk about it (laughs) offline anytime you want. But it also led me to that honest shaping of my own voice more quickly than anything else has ever done. Because to hear someone else's and to have that very uncomfortable feeling like someone was crossing into your lane, that's what it always felt like to me. Like we were driving together at 60 miles an hour in separate cars and every once in a while he would be crossing into my lane and I'd be like, ah, no, 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 we can't <laughs> say it that way. And he had every right because he was the he's one of the leading forensic pathologists in the world. He knows the stuff but his writing skills were very different than mine. And I think it's a great experience to take on because it develops your voice very quickly. You get very defensive about what is trying to be said. You get very clear about the way you want to say it. And those are moments to pay attention to as a writer, because voice is by far and away the hardest thing to describe. It's the hardest thing to teach. And it's right there with you if someone else tries to come into your lane, you know. So I wish your mother the best with her romances. I love that story. I love that you parted ways. And she's on her fifth book. It's Fantastic.
1: Yeah. And it's, I also think the co writing experience and anything that challenges you and pushes you out of your comfort zone makes you a better writer. And so Mm -hmm. often when people say in their early books, you know, oh, how do I find my voice? The answer is write more books. (laughs) And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think I found my voice in uh, my fifth novel, Desecration. And that is where I really learned about my themes and the things I wanted to talk about. And as you say, the way we write and that can be diluted with co-writing, but it also helps us hone that down. So for all of us, I think we want to become a better writer. And so experimentation is really part of that.
0: Yes, it absolutely is. And so is discipline. So let's talk a bit about discipline. You talked about having the 17 novels that you want to write and how you pick and how you make the discernment, which one you're going to do next. And it's okay to have this list idea of 17 books that you want to write. But discipline. Can you just talk a little bit about your practice about your day about how you get to the desk and and what keeps you there?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I never think of myself as very disciplined. I think... Uh, that I love my work and so you kind of can't keep me away. I I do work all the time I love it. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) my day is, I'm generally a morning person but um, the the whole coronavirus pandemic thing has changed things up a little, which again is good, it's shaken my routine. My previous routine was to be at the writing cafe, 7am local place I go to, do a few hours, say two and a half, three hours, then go and do some exercise and then uh, after lunch, I do all my business stuff, marketing stuff, everything like that. Um, at the moment, I'm actually doing a lot more writing and editing in the afternoon, which is interesting. And sometimes creation and admin stuff in the morning, because it's also when I go walking and uh, with my husband. So things have really shifted. But the important aspect is ha- creating something new in the world every day. And for me, that is writing, uh, you know, working on my books, so I'm working on map of the impossible right now um which is the third in in my map walker trilogy i'm working on a Course actually on co-writing with uh, one of my other co-writers, Jay Thorne. So, by creating those videos, that's going to be something else in the world that brings in money. And writers teach. You're a teacher. That's what we do. It's one of our income streams. And then I do marketing. So, this interview, uh, I've got another interview tomorrow. So, most days I'll do interviews for my own podcast or for other people's podcasts. I might um, write a blog post or make a video. I'll check into, I will literally check into Facebook. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram once or twice. I, <laughs> It might look like I'm there a lot, but my, my tip is Buffer app. If people don't know about scheduling social media, then I use Buffer to schedule a lot of that. So I'm not distracting myself a lot there. I'm mainly focusing on the creation side. And then, of course, every we're towards the end of the month, as we record this, I'll then do spend like a day doing admin, accounting, all the things we have to do. But the main Mm -hmm. thing to come back to is that every day there is some block of time that is for creation. And the other Tip I'd say is I schedule everything on Google Calendar, even my breaks, <laughs> and also you know time with my husband, time with my family, and my work. So I'll say um, I'll be working on Map of the Impossible. I'll make sure I turn up at my desk at that time, do the work. So I guess you could say I'm disciplined and that I manage my time blocks like that, but it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. like I'm forcing myself. I feel like this is what I want to do with my life and I'm so lucky and I just want to do
0: it. Gosh, I just totally agree with everything you just said. I have everything. I call it my grid. I live on a grid. It even says indoor bike three o'clock in the afternoons. It says walk dog at certain points. Yeah, me It says too. pay bills. <laughs> 8.30 in the morning on Fridays, it's pay the bills. I too work best in the morning. I I believe in mapping it all out. It doesn't feel like discipline either. It feels like when I'm being creative, I don't have to worry about the bills. I don't have to worry about the call to the whatever. Of course life happens, but then you just have to take it on. The dog has to go to the vet. Of course you make the exception. I I completely agree with you. And it allows for that creativity. So for that creativity, this new site you started, Books and Travel, it's a gorgeous piece of work that seems to promote the idea that there are books that remain with us forever that spark our imagination, that echo down the years of our lives. I was just so, I, I felt like I was climbing into a hammock or writing on a magic carpet when I got onto books and travel, because it confirms for me what I've believed. I have books that have formed my whole life, that have literally helped me make decisions. And I don't mean self-help books, I mean novels. So Can you name a few books for you that have inspired this Books and Travel? Actually, give us a little background on the Books and Travel, and then maybe name a few books that inspired you to this book, Avid Life of Yours.
1: Well, thank you for mentioning it. Basically, about 18 months ago, I felt like the Creative Pen podcast was coming up to a decade and I felt I needed another creative project, an audio project. And in fact, it's funny because I'm kind of writing a travel memoir as I podcast. So I knew that I wanted to write about my travels. And for me, traveling is the lifeblood of my creativity. I've, you know, my mum took us to Africa when I was eight years old. And so some of my first memories. Memories are are of that. And that sort of experience has shaped my entire life. And um, being in lockdown is very difficult because I really want to be out there experiencing the world. Um, It's what just fuels me. So when I was thinking about what can I do with a podcast that will last a long time? And this is a tip for everyone for marketing everything you build online compounds. And I'm where I am with my creative pen business because I've been doing this a decade. And I thought, what do I want to be in 10 years time for my fiction? What will underpin my fiction world, my fiction ecosystem? And I thought, well, books and travel, you know, I want to talk to people about their travels and their books. Uh, So Mm -hmm. and I want to talk about the things that have inspired me and also what inspired each of um, my books as I write them. So one example of a book that's still Lives with me every day. Uh, I have it on the shelf, <laughs> but um, is the source by James Michener. Have you have you read that? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah,
1: so, yes. Yeah. So, a uh, wonderful, big, chunky book uh, about the history of Israel, told over generations. And I was—I've um, been going to Israel since I was about fifteen. I worked out there at the charity. And so, when I read Michener's book and the depth of history in the book and the stories that come for it, that book still shapes me. Now, I wouldn't say that's a thriller. Um, you know, it's a—it's a historical epic novel, um, but. But that the idea of taking a place, looking at the history of a place and turning that into a story about a person who was in that place, that is still what shapes pretty much all of my books, particularly my Arcane series, where my protagonist is half Israeli. Um, so and I write a lot about Jewish history, um, Christian history. Um, so I love delving into it that way Uh, Mm -hmm. and then I I guess there's there are so many books that's kind of what I wanted to do the show so that I could Mm -hmm. talk about them uh, and essentially make the books behind the research we do as novelists and potentially as memoirists, uh, you know, bring those to life and attract people who want to travel in their minds, if even if they can't go there in person. So I also share some of my own background, uh, doing personal shows as well as interviews, and I'm I'm just finding it very rewarding. But I guess similar to writing memoir, I don't really know where it's going yet. I'm it's only a year old as we speak, and I'm giving. It a couple of years like three years before i try to turn that into any particular uh physical book for example
0: oh it's fascinating and and as i wrap this up i'm going to ask you the most dangerous question of all because goodness only knows what the answer to this is but what's next <laughs>
1: Well, it's funny because, well, it's great. I do have on the wall, um, I have just come up with two book titles in the last couple of days. So I do know the next two novels I'm writing, uh, which I'll do by the end of the year. And um, unfortunately, I'm not going to announce them on this show. (laughs) Because no, no, I haven't okay. announced them on my own show but it's it's what's nice is that I now know I've been having these I, I went to Amsterdam uh, about 18 months ago and we were in Portugal and I knew that somehow uh, these two would link when we were in Amsterdam there was that we went to the Portuguese synagogue there and I was like what is a Portuguese synagogue doing in Amsterdam and we also found this mm-hmm. book called um, Jewish Pirates of the Caribbean and I was like oh, oh. my goodness that is a, that is just brilliant I have to read this book so what I learnt between uh, Amsterdam and Portugal has suddenly come into my head as what the plot will be. And that will be my not- next arcane book, number 11 in the series. Uh, so that will be the next book after Map of the Impossible. Um, but I, I think the lovely thing with being an independent writer for me is that I don't ask permission to publish either. I just write books, mm-hmm. work with my editor and put them in the world. So it's, it's actually quite a fast process. <laughs>
0: That's the best advice you could give people. Write books and put them in the world. Thank you, Joanna. That's just been wonderful talking to you. I cannot wait for the next time we get to cross paths. And when we get released from this COVID lockdown, I I hope I can buy you a cup of tea and bath. I would love to do that.
1: Oh, well, thanks so much for having me on the show, Marion. That was great.
0: You're welcome. The author is Joanna Penn. Get her books wherever books are sold. Watch her on YouTube, listen to her podcasts. In all, see everything she does at thecreativepen.com. I'm Marion Roach Smith, and you've been listening to QWERTY. Subscribe wherever podcasts are available. QWERTY is produced by Overit Studios in Albany, New York. Reach them at overitstudios.com. Our producer is Adam Claremont. Our assistant is Laura Bailey. Want more on the art and work of writing? Visit marionroach.com and take a class with me. And thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to QWERTY and listen to it wherever you go.